0: We just want to start this episode by thanking all the gods in the sky that food month is over. After this, we've survived another one. The The winter has passed and uh, we're on to the fruited fields of rating systems that aren't Spencer's terrible food opinions.
1: So- I just want to say we don't want to thank the gods that food month is over. I think some of us want to thank the gods that food month is over. But well, I We have a guest here. We
0: can, we can see that. Baz, do you want to thank the gods that food month is over?
2: I have already sacrificed two goats to the gods <laughs> in anticipation of thanking them for the ending of food month. <laughs> well, okay,
1: so some of us, maybe a larger collective than I thought, uh, <laughs> would like to thank the gods that food month is over.
0: Uh, all right. Uh, we we survived another one, folks. Hey, everybody! I'm Caleb. I'm Spencer, and we have a guest here today. Baz, it's Baz, uh, and this is the mix six where we have six conversations, drink f- six beers, rate them on a five point scale, and we're really your soundtrack to 2020 all your 2020 activities go better with the mix six paranoidly staring out your windows um, stockpiling food uh, turning off internet notifications on your phone with the exception of the podcast app for us we Delete it, deleting social for, media for,
1: applications
0: yeah for all your needs um, so yeah uh, we got a little bit to cover in the pre-party so in the past couple months we've been doing the mix six mutual aid fund Um, and we are very happy to give that to whoever needs it. But uh, as of the time this is posted, which I believe should be the 30th of June, um, we haven't had a ton of takers, and there's a lot of need in the world today. Um, So we're going to donate the remainder of that fund to a national bailout because uh, we very much support what is going on uh, in terms of the general insurrection uh, gripping America today. Uh, so yeah, um, that's all I had. That's as serious as our dudes drinking beer podcast. Will get,
1: it's, it's so. a, it's a considerable amount of money from our, from the mutual aid fund. Uh, yeah, it, it'll end up being about five hundred and seventy five hundred and eighty dollars $580. I think that mm-hmm. we're going to, we're going to give to national bailout. And we know mm-hmm. that, you know, that's a drop in the bucket in a lot of ways, but it's our way of dropping something in the bucket. So,
0: yeah. Uh, cool, but, um, most importantly of all, food month is ending, uh, and
1: we got through it. Um, well, there's one more, there's one more food month rating. This is the the final food month rating system.
0: I have to look at the carrot at the end of this very, very long stick that you would (laughs) give a rating that would be just completely inappropriate for carrots. Right. And I have to use that as my motivation to get through this thing.
1: So Carrot preparations would have been an interesting uh, food month rating system. Let's go ahead and put that in the in the hopper for next, for 2021 food month, just yes. carrot preparations. Uh-huh. Okay. But But for today, the final food month rating system, <clears throat> I'm abstracting a little bit. So not technically food, but drink. So of a similar category. Uh, And I've been thinking about this more lately because Brandy has been ordering, we're doing grocery delivery still because I don't want to go into stores, and uh, Brandy's been ordering Gatorade, the Gatorade Zero, the sugar-free stuff. And honestly, I've been surprised like how terrible it isn't. Um, And it got me thinking the other day after Kevin Ellis, uh, who is just one of the best friends of the podcast, Um, Kevin's the best, and if you have not followed Kevin on Twitter, you should definitely check out. Kevin Ellis, I don't remember his fucking handle right now, but I'll get it by the end of the show, maybe. Anyways, Kevin uh, changed his Twitter avatar or Twitter buyer the other day to say, I, I'm the kind of guy who drinks uh, fruit punch Gatorades just so I feel like I'm popping health potions all day. <sighs> and it got me thinking about Gatorades and what Gatorades are good and frankly, what Gatorades aren't good. So we're going to wrap food month. We're going to end this long, arduous journey by reviewing beers based on Gatorade flavors. And, and to be true to how I encounter Gatorade, I don't know the names of any actual Gatorade. So I'm just going to use the color to describe the Gatorade. So I think they do have names. I do think fruit punch may in fact be the name of the Gatorade. For me, it's just red. So here's what we're going to do. Oh, one, the, the kind of Gatorade you don't want. And speaking of it's red, red Gatorade is not good. Uh, Whatever that flavor of kinds of things generally is, which I, fruit punch, fruit punch things just aren't very good generally. And Gatorade, I, you, you don't get your you don't get your post workout on, or let's not lie, for many of us, you don't get your, your hangover on by drinking fruit punch flavored things. So red is bad. Wrong. Uh, you want to get bad. in on this? Red is
2: like the only drinkable Gatorade, with the exception oh. of some of the more exotics.
1: Right, so then not only, and also, yeah, the you prop- know when you get an exotic Gatorade drop. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> oh shit! They got that off green. Uh, no, uh, red is terrible. Uh, slightly less terrible, and I don't understand the general love for blue Gatorade. But a two here is blue. I just, the hell is wrong with you, dude? Did, like, you, did you you've ever literally have some gone like my four antifreeze? and five? You no, know, yeah, blue's bad. Uh, bad. And, what was you
0: saying? I'm sorry, I got so furious. No,
2: no, it's just fucking insane.
1: <laughs> <laughs> also, objectively correct, and I apologize for that. Um, a three. This is what you expect of Gatorade. The, Gatorade is yellow, Pass. and so a three is just what you expect of Gatorade. It's just yellow.
3: I'll give no, you that. No, that's a, that's definitely a two. Yellow is not.
1: I will give you. I will give you three for yellow. Yeah, it's the ex, It's the standard by which Gatorade is.
3: It In football,
0: okay. we only got yellow Gatorade if we lost a game. That is how wrong you
1: are. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's brutal. Blue was for closers. Uh, Let's talk about some Pavlovian shit that that was. Good Uh lord. Okay. Yellow Uh, tastes like failure. A four. And this is a Gatorade flavor that I've come around to pretty recently because I used to, this used to be a hard one for me, and it has really moved the needle. White. The 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 icy, frosty, clear, whatever it's fucking called. I don't know i've really come around on this stuff because and here's here's an important point it's not too sugary because some gatorade really overreaches in the sugariness and the white stuff really doesn't it's pretty subtle maybe it's because i'm drinking the the gatorade zero version and so it doesn't taste too sugary because it's not too sugary but i have been really enjoying the white what, and then what a flavor
0: five, is white i don't know for gatorade
1: frost it's, it's like frostberry maybe
0: it's cherry yeah. for powerade or cherry and, It's and, cherry and cherry powerade is objectively the best powerade yeah. uh and that's the white flavor for them but um maybe it is
1: sure let's go with that i enjoy it i don't know what it is, but i, I, but don't, I know don't know like what it, it is for gatorade
0: because i don't right, drink these awful flavors that you seem to love
1: yeah right right um okay and then a five best gatorade it's orange that's the is wrong with
2: oh, you? You're yeah.
3: fucking insane. Right. No, he's right. He's right. Boom. A, fuck yeah, you, Peyton. Objective.
1: You're insane. Oh, orange,
3: is, orange is the best by far. It's not even close. Thank you. Like, thank you. Yeah.
1: Producer Ross for the win. Off the yeah. top rope, bitch. Orange, <laughs> orange is like salty, watered down orange juice.
3: Nope, it's yeah, that's the right. best. Delicious.
1: We got a rap horn on Orange Gatorade. Well, I'm yeah. done here. What a way to end food month. Huh? Okay. So <laughs> on that note, let's get some beer.
0: Spencer, everyone on this podcast is wrong but me. What are you drinking?
1: So I think, I think this is the last beer from RPX Adam which means, man, I've been sitting on this thing for a hot minute. <laughs> um, but to his credit, Was that Origins the last year? Us, uh, yes, it is. That's, <laughs> Gen Con last year. Gen Con last year. Oh, okay. Uh, so slightly more recent. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> ten months, not a year. Uh, so, uh, But to his credit, like almost everything he's given us has been really, really good. And so I'll give this last one a, ro- a-, a whirl. And thanks again, RPX Adam, for passion- passing this stuff off. Don't forget to check out Role Playing Exchange, by the way. Whoop. Um, this is the Donka chain October fest. Yes. By West six brewing. Nothing says, uh, nothing says the middle of June, like a year old October fest. Yeah, not so much. Um, okay. You know what? Unpredictable. Adam, yeah. You, uh, you had a good run. All things end much like food month. Uh, that's a two it's, it's not good, but it's not it's it's comfortably not the most offensive thing I've had on this podcast. So it's 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 a blue Gatorade, is what it is. God damn it! Um, so I get up, angry uh, hearing it. No, I know you do. I can see it. I can see it on your face over this webcam. Um, so I know. Uh, on an upcoming episode uh, here in the future, we're going to talk about Feast for Odin. Finally, which which you and I finally got to the table, and oh boy, do I have some thoughts. But in the short run, <laughs> you've been experimenting with this really exciting new game. And you've kind of hacked together a system that would allow you to play this game virtually. And so you've now run one or two, two scenarios.
0: Uh, we've done three scenarios. Done three? That wow, okay. Unpredictable length. And Thad, uh, cultured our monarch to death, which is the <clears throat> thing that can happen in it. it sure. She, she just learned too much and had to go. <laughs> um, so yeah, well, it wasn't to death. It
3: was abdication. Yeah, that. it was
0: abdication. Um, So we're talking about The King's Dilemma, uh, and it is a legacy game where you basically play a royal council uh, running generations of your royal family to advise the king, and basically the king in this seems to be a largely um, ceremonial role. It seems to be sort of a very corrupt parliament system, Um, but it's a legacy game with, like, 77 fucking unique decks of cards and, uh, like innumerable paths and story uh, things you can go down. And um, I bought it fully acknowledging almost no one was ever going to play this full thing with me. Um, And then quarantine made it look like it was absolutely going to happen that way. But there are, on BGG, a lot of hacks for doing King's Dilemma online via a spreadsheet to help you facilitate everything um, because the game is primarily talking. Um, And I've been playing it with Producer Ross and Baz. So I'd be interested before... I'm I'm nerdy enough that I bought it sight unseen, fully acknowledging that almost no one would play it with me. Um, because I'm so psyched about it. So I'm gonna gush if I go off. So I, I would rather let producer Baz uh and no producer Ross and guest Baz uh get in on this uh and, and say their thoughts. Yeah. Hello. Watch, watch
2: the throne, Ross. I'm coming for your job. <laughs> I, that's the king's dilemma.
3: <laughs> I'll be producer baz soon. Oh no. Uh, I hope you like editing podcasts. Um, never done it. Okay. Yeah. No, it's easy. Uh, so don't make a joke. Don't make a joke. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyways, um, yeah, the Kings of Limer is a, is a, a, a real interesting game in that like, yeah, like he said, it's conversational based. Like it's all like, what will you vote on? And, um, the whole thing is everybody has, uh, at the end of every, uh, we don't know exactly how long it'll go. Like uh, how many votes there, how many issues will come up because there's various circumstances in the game. And um, we, we say so you can't exactly predict. And so you can, you have two resources power, which you, which are votes and uh, coins, which you can use to bribe uh, people because the uh, you get bonus points at the end of the game. If you have a certain amount of coins, if you, if you're in the top three, essentially, um, but, but that 's all the coins are used for, and so uh, the real currency is power, and um, the question is how much power do you hoard for voting on issues you care about versus how many votes power how much power do you do you sell uh, with bribes of coins um, and uh, and then, of course, everybody has different conditions to get victory points, and you don 't know exactly what those conditions are; some are open, most are secret. Um, and so there's a lot to keep track of, but it really boils down to like, I want this thing. To, I want this to be approved. I want this to be nay. You know, I want, I want this or that. And like you, you're trying to get every, as many votes as you can on the issues that you want to win. And the, yeah, so, um, it's a really interesting dynamic to, whether you use your power immediately or whether you hoard it for later votes, because you don't know if that's going to really pay off or if you're going to wind up having a lot of power and not like have done anything with it. So um, it's, and then of course is this whole role playing angle. Like how much will you role play uh, into it? Uh, and are you going to vote based on actual principles or are you just going to vote solely to get more victory points at the end of the game? Um, so I quite enjoy it. Uh, it's 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 very interesting um in in that in yeah just a lot of different respects um
0: i don't think it's a perfect
3: game though but yeah
0: oh no it's not yeah we're not running it in a perfect way either
3: yeah Um, that's fair Mm
0: -hmm. uh what are your thoughts baz (laughs) um i don't know i like it. it
2: it it plays like it's a it feels like an rpg that plays like a board game Mm -hmm. at times um yeah Ross was speaking about the the power mechanics and stuff make for really interesting gameplay because you you really don't know like oh i really need this to happen so i'm gonna really make it happen and then the next card comes up and it's like oh shit i really need for that to happen but now i can't do anything Mm -hmm. so there's a really cool mechanic there that really like if you you know flex too much on someone now well leaves you open and vulnerable you know the next turn I like mm-hmm. that mechanic, um, and like I said about the role playing aspect, like how much of that you know that that I feel like without that role playing element, this would I would not enjoy this game at all. I think that really makes for a fun experience.
3: Yeah, if it was it totally abstracted, like you could you could rewrite this game and remove all the fluff and lore, and make it very abstract, uh, and like. Um, you know, it's all like, do you want this symbol to get bigger or smaller? You know, do you want this resource to get yeah. bigger or higher or lower and, uh, and remove a lot of the lore, uh, or all of it. And it would still play the same, but like, yeah, it would, it would, it wouldn't be nearly as enjoyable to argue. I want this number to go higher and this number to go lower versus I want us to go pre- use the treasure map to get send yeah, out right, an expedition right. or let's get all the gold. No, let's just get the, 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 the map, you know, like, um, um Yeah,
0: I think that's the most interesting part for me because in games that have moral choices, um, because they don't want to de incentivize you too much in certain directions, they they make it's like a video game that has a a, like a good path and a bad path, and you both end up in the same place. Like it's Mm -hmm. it's sort of a false choice. Um, What I feel like King's Delumen does well is with that secret agenda mechanic because um, every time you play the game, you get a secret agenda. Which one? There's five resources. And your seeking agenda turns what portion of the bur- of the board the bottom the bottom half the middle or the top um, you want certain resources in and you get victory points for having them there, but then you also get victory points based on where you score in the coins. So, like, if you're the rebel and you don't give a fuck about money, you get almost no points for scoring the most coins because you have a um, very hard legislative agenda. You're a fanatic, but if you're the opportunist you get almost no points for resources being anywhere except for having the most coins. Um, And so what it does is that, yeah, it is very abstract and you're shooting for that, but considering the only real mechanic of the game is talking, like the mechanics of the game are basically Robert's rules of order. Like how do you debate these yay or nay issues that come up? Um, Because you have to talk through it and convince people to do things and bluff, um, you end up having to make some really interesting role-playing decisions uh because you've got these agendas to win the board game. So you end up being uh, But share,
1: but like similar shared victory conditions, right? Like not not separate win conditions. Um you you have separate win conditions every
0: game but like not for the okay. campaign. Um right. so uh and also you don't know what the win conditions are at the end of the campaign because if you're uh, if you thrive, it's going to be prestige points that are worth the most. But if the kingdom collapses, it's going to be crave points, which is like you are hungriest and most ready to seize power oh, when the government takes down. Yeah. Um, so it's very interesting in that because you have to come up with these sort of role-playing decisions to decide what you're into. Like, So for instance, like uh, Baz's family are basically feudal eugenicists. Uh, our blood is the only blood that matters. But then like a certain thing comes up that is good for his secret agenda, and then Baz has to explain to me why we should let the um, foreign nat- foreign uh, mercenaries have a standing army in our borders
1: <laughs> Okay, yeah, which yeah, is yeah.
0: not something he would typically be for sure. um, and so you end up all playing these scummy opportunistic shitheads that are all going for various angles and I think it's a really good political simulation um, I'm also very interested in the way it sort of like emulates debate poker like are, are you guys in- intrigued by that?
2: Yeah I like that system a lot the,
3: the, yeah, sorry, go on this Oh well, I like, I, yeah. What I,
2: what I like about it is that you can bait people really easily if you mm-hmm. kind of get an idea for how they're how they how they wager it's similar to poker. You know, you can play people out, you can bleed them by just, you know, poking, you know, little pokes and jabs and then find out what they're how they find out what their tell is what they're gonna most likely vote for now and then go heavy in and then watch them follow suit and then lose all their power in one turn just because they really wanted that one thing, and they thought you were trying to go against them, when in reality I probably didn't give a shit what they were voting for.
0: Yeah, it's just, you can bait, you can bluff. Um, Basically the way it works, you'll have a leader token and a moderator token. The leader starts the vote on any issue. Um, The leader can either put power towards either A or nay, or they can um, pass to become the moderator which is going to break ties or they can pass to gain power from the last pot. So everyone that won a vote in the previous dilemma goes into, they, they expend their power out of their pool, but it goes into a shared pot into the middle of the game in a closed economy. So that pot becomes up for grabs. So if like, you're the only person who passes for power when there's 10 power in the pot, you get it. Um, but if somebody else gets it, you get five, you know, like it, it goes down. Um, but the thing is, whoever donates the most power on either side of an issue ends up becoming the leader. And the the past doesn't end until you get to the right of the leader. So if the leader keeps moving, you keep re-upping bets until people go all in. Um, and so you keep cycling around and doing this. Also, the really interesting thing is that if it comes out to a tie, the moderator just fucking decides. So like moderator in certain positions is super powerful because if you're the moderator and everyone's expended an enormous amount of power and it becomes tied when it gets to the moderator, everyone's trying to bribe the monitor right right simultaneously the and the bribes just go up and up and up. And if you're going for a coin position, it's really powerful to have moderator. Um, the other thing is if that you make a choice, there's also these stickers that go on the board that make you own that choice forever. So uh, what everyone had a fun time doing in the last game was screwing me with bad decisions that I was against because I would like vote all out to be the leader and like expend a shit ton of power to be like, nay, we don't want to do this. And the A would be like a negative sticker that would haunt the kingdom forever. And then like Ross and Burke or Baz and Thad would join and never exceed the amount of power they spend individually on the vote. So they never become the leader. But they wouldn't end up beating me in a coalition, and then I have to end up si- signing. Uh, it'd be like if Nancy Pelosi defunded the Affordable Care Act because <laughs> you know sh- she had to own the failure to stop that. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so, uh, the, you know, I, I was getting stuck with a bunch of stickers that have a legacy effect in the game. Yeah. Um, so it's really interesting for me because it is basically what happens to governments. People start game theorying. The parliamentary procedure and hacking it for certain ends uh, that are not necessarily in the best interest of the kingdom. Um, And it is a game that openly acknowledges that that's the way governments work Mm -hmm. and expects Mm -hmm. you to play that way, Um, which which is what I really like about
3: it. One thing I really like, I think my favorite mechanic is that bribes are binding contracts, uh, yes. it, and so like, I remember in one, uh, I think our first game, I bribed someone to pass for power because Caleb was passing for power. So like, instead of Caleb getting like 10 power, he got five now. And so like the other person did as well. So I just did that also because I wanted to make sure that person wasn't voting. Cause once you pass for power, you can't vote. So like I was taking them out of the equation and, uh, also screwing over Caleb to making sure he didn't get that much power.
0: Yeah. Uh, coin coin bribes are biding but any other bribe is not like you yeah. can lie in that regard if you say you're going to like vote with them later and then you can choose not to but also once you vote you stick to that the only thing you can do is add more power to it so you, the only thing you can do is turn like a 7a into an 8a you can't be like I'm actually voting nay now um, so it's very interesting yeah hmm.
1: I have interest in it and like actually when you got it and started telling me about it I was like yeah it feels a little too role playing for me but there's probably a format in which I would like kind of find it interesting or make it work. And it's really cool that you found this hack together way to do it during quarantine because it kind of actually seems like a really good game to kind of simulate some of that role-playing stuff. And virtually that, you know, that isn't a big issue. So uh, I'm interested in it. Uh, I'm more interested in you guys playing it and then you telling me how it went, honestly, uh, because it seems like a little bit out of my depth, but uh, on that note, we're going to grab a beer and we'll be right back uh, with our next segment. Armchair director. Caleb, what are you drinking?
0: Well, I'm, I spelled it Sierra Nevada. I like it. It's actually Sierra Nevada Hop Bullet, a double IPA. At this point, you're in on the bit. You you know how excited <laughs> I am to drink this. Um, uh, it's not. It's not very. In, in yeah. fact, it's like twice as not very excited um, as I would
1: normally be. <laughs> uh, so here I go. You know what? The, right. the, given the excessive growth of IPAs and and how much space they take up on shelves, it does make shopping for beer easier when I do because I can just kind of, I'm not looking at this sixty percent of the case. So yeah. just we're we're moving on. It's kind of its own uh, inclusion by exclusion there.
0: Honestly, it's not that bad. Um, I give it a three. It is hoppy and it is definitely a double IPA, but um, it's thin. It's not overly bitter. It's Sierra Nevada, though, so I don't want to give that on any, like, restraint on their part, other than they didn't want to spend that much money on hops, um, and they just wanted it to market, like, hop, bullet, put it in your mouth and pull the trigger, like, and I know there are people that will buy that beer, and I'm glad that this is fleecing them because um, it's not that face-suckingly destroying. It's actually fairly light for an IPA, which... Thank Christ! Uh, so right. they, make, they do make some
1: punishing IPAs.
0: Yeah, it's 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 a three because it's not it's not living up to the name, and I'm very glad for that. So
1: yeah, we're into armchair director, and Sean Whalen has suggested the top three blandest sequels, and he makes an important point: the movies you watch because they were following up on movies you'd already seen, but you left wondering why anyone had bothered to make it. They don't need to be bad films, and I do think this is an important point, and can even be movies you enjoy. They just left you feeling like you would bought a product that was only created so you would buy it rather than because it was a story worth telling or a train wreck worth seeing. I think that's a good condition for this because, frankly, the easy solution here is just to say it's bad sequel because it's a bad movie, but that, there's some nuance. So, uh, Baz, you're our guest. You want to start uh, bad sequel number one?
2: Yes. Uh, my first bad sequel is a sequel to what's objectively not a great movie in the first place but is amazing for other purposes but mortal Kombat 2
0: oh annihilation, <laughs> annihilation. Thought, about the thought about
2: it blandest lamest remake of it, of already a movie that's of questionable quality <laughs> it
3: daring, was just sir. i know yeah.
2: i'm yeah.
0: to my podcast and you talk about mortal Kombat that way i'm not saying i don't no, love man. it
2: i even <laughs> bought the novelization of it at a yeah. homeland grocery store back in a. back in the 90s it's the nice.
0: most 90s kid thing i've ever heard and i still
2: <laughs> i still own it <laughs> and i've read it a dozen times <laughs> the book is so much better than the movie who wrote that is that a i have no fucking idea oh, man it's good though I used wow. to
0: know all those like bad novelization writers mm-hmm. that would like
3: those, those fucking hats. The Doom and... novels were a special piece of work. Oh, the Look. Doom
0: novels, the Resident Evil novels, the fucking uh, novelization of Independence Day. Like There was some,
3: there was some good
1: shit back then. Uh, uh, Caleb, what's your first bad sequel?
0: Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Utter Disappointment with Jack Reacher 2. 100%. Oh, you don't yeah. hit the sublime heights of having Werner Herzog fight Tom Cruise in your stupid... Stupid concept of a movie and elevate it to something great, and then go down to Jack Reacher 2, which is just like a bland DTV Tom Cruise mm-hmm. runs with his little chappy arms movie that we've seen a billion times. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know how you go up from Werner Herzog and fucking Robert Duvall in the first film beyond all reason, but. Uh, Jack Reacher 2 failed on that in every regard. So.
1: Here's here's the argument I would make about that. Jack Reacher 2 is exactly what I thought Jack Reacher was going to be, and Jack Reacher <laughs> was so good was because it yeah. was not Jack Reacher 2. <laughs> yes, yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. Uh, yeah. What about you? Uh, so, bland sequel, you want to talk about just like grokking uh, a, a mechanism that only worked once well and and frankly shouldn't have worked well the one time that it did, Speed 2. just should not have been made. Um, The fact that you could get Sandra Bullock to make another movie was probably reason enough to do it. I get it. Uh, Speed is nearly perfect. I absolutely love Speed. And they were so uninspired as to make a second film that they just said, nah, we probably can't do a bus, but I bet we could do a cruise ship. And that was it. That was the end of the writing process. They just found another guy to play Keanu Reeves, and and Dennis Hopper didn't come back because continuity, and that was it. End of Speed Two conversations, mm-hmm. and it's absolutely horrible. Uh, uh, Russ,
3: Thor Two, that oh that so, bad. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so bad. Yeah, yeah, That is the most bland. So that is, bad. like it's it's almost like an algorithmically generated Marvel Cinematic Universe movie. Like it has 100%. all of the elements of an MCU movie, and just none of no no charm no it's just yep we're gonna we're gonna do a bunch of stuff and there's a bunch of cgi and yep chris Hemsworth is here yeah basically that's exactly right thor 2 was so
1: bad thor 2 was so bad that when you said it i i thought oh my god he's so right and then i remembered that there was a thor 2 so that's (laughs) that's kind of what thor
2: 2 is for me
1: yeah uh baz second bad or bland sequel i should say uh been in black too I mm. totally agree.
2: Mm. Mm. Not that it's a bad movie; it's fine. Like, but it does not. It's like bottling lightning. Kind of. It's like the first one nailed it so good. The second one just doesn't really deliver in any way, shape, or form.
0: Yeah, yeah, because it because isn't the villain like a lady? Like a lady, Laura yeah. Flynn
1: Boyle. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. yeah. Uh, How you gonna top Mr. Kind of to D'Onofrio
0: just playing himself as a giant slug right. creature? Um, playing Edgar,
1: God, that was such <laughs> a good, such a good pull. Caleb, uh, bland sequel number two,
0: uh, Matrix Reloaded. Um, the The Matrix was, I knew nothing about the Matrix when I saw it in theaters. It was mind blowing. Like it was a pivotal moment in my sci fi mm-hmm. upbringing. It's still one it's of like, my favorite fucking films. Like yeah. the when they unplug Keanu Reeves in that fucking movie. I've never been so actually profoundly astounded in a theater uh, as as I was at that moment. And then the direction it went was just all the better. And the Matrix Reloaded was like that, but without interesting revelations um, and all the all the subtextual philosophy of it became textual and boring. And uh, all of the interesting CGI and special effects developments, instead of pushing the narrative forward and making it more interesting, suddenly made it more bland because. Yep. We're just going to make CGI do everything and have him fight a million Hugo weavings. Like, yep. just needless escalation without story purpose.
1: And come to find out the stuff going on in the real world wasn't all that interesting or good looking. Yeah, it turns so, out. Yeah, no thanks.
0: Yeah, uh, so, um, yeah, the Matrix he loaded was a big wet fart. As my, And I tried for years to defend it because I just loved the Matrix so
3: much. Hey, that car I, chase at around. the end, though.
0: Yeah, that's I mean the there's great action scenes, but like that. the car chase at the end is great because it has actual narrative stakes. Like right. I'm thinking about like the fight against uh Agent Smith in the fucking basketball court where they just oh, fight yeah, yeah. and then he runs away and nothing fucking
3: <laughs> No. <laughs> like horrible.
0: Um the best part about The Matrix Reloaded was the video game tie-in cuz that game oh, fucking yes.
1: ruled. Uh <laughs> but yeah. Uh I'll stand by for my second poll. Uh dumb and dumber is one of the funniest films I've ever watched. Uh, I don't remember how old I was when Dumb and Dumber came out, probably like eight or nine or 10, somewhere in there. And I thought, holy shit, like this is exact this is what comedy is supposed to be. And I'm 34 and I still feel that way. Like I will still stop and watch Dumb and Dumber. There are not many films that make me laugh harder than that movie. And the fact that some asshole somewhere in Hollywood decided they needed to make Dumb and Dumber-er uh, mm-hmm. with a younger version of the cast to explain some of the backstory, let alone then a third version of this thing. It's just appalling to me. And the the great thing about Dumb and Dumber is the, text, the texture of these characters who are interesting and they're funny and they're dumb, but they have a lot of heart. And the, the journey they go on is precisely related to how dumb they are. And that's the bit. And just making another 90 minutes of them doing other dumb stuff with ostensibly worse actors was just not really an inspired decision here on, on any part. So mm-hmm. Dumb and Dumber-er to me is just one of the biggest whiffs in terms of sequels uh ross hannibal
0: oh yes. god yeah. yeah good cut yeah yeah. that's bland uh. in two directions the book sucks too <laughs> <laughs> they, just did a, they just did a solid adaptation of that book and it fucking blew yeah
3: yeah it's uh compared i mean because like if it was just a, a standalone like direct to netflix kind of thriller it would have been eh but like it's the sequel to silence of the lambs so like it's right. it's the the the, the it, it just goes from here it just goes straight off a cliff it's like yeah, yeah. you know there's no incremental economic. decrease yeah exactly it's just a, a plunge into mediocrity Horrible. um
1: uh, yeah. baz third bland sequel mask two son uh, of the mask son,
0: son of the mask yeah oh, all yeah. right for a second i thought you meant like the the movie was share i didn't oh, know no. they made a two of that yeah. <laughs>
2: Uh, Son of Son of, Ma- Son of the Mask, that movie is so, not only bad, but it's just, again, can't recapture the magic of what made its predecessor so great.
1: Re- repurposing Jim Carrey roles is not easy, especially when you don't use Jim Carrey. Right. And so, Dumb and Dumber-er, Son of the Mask, uh, even like the, the, the swing from Bruce Almighty to Evan Almighty, it's just like, ugh, okay, we get it. Like yeah. you had a bit and the bit was great because Jim Carrey was great. Um, totally agree. Uh, Caleb, third blind sequel.
0: Okay, I think this is really my ultimate pick. Um, Beyond Skyline, which is Skyline 2. <laughs> what? Um, do you guys remember Skyline where I like do. Donald Faison was having, mm-hmm. trying to have a career after Scrubs yeah. like and he made an aliens. alien invasion movie and it was
2: bad? They made things um, turn blue.
0: I, I remember I remember nothing about Skyline as a film, okay. other than there were aliens and Donald Faison was in it. I, I have no other memory of that film.
3: They're trapped but, in a building, like an apartment or something. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I don't know. But I got this question. I'm like, what are some yeah, bland sequels? So I go to like my streaming queues, and I go look through like the watch it again. Like, What have I watched? Beyond mm-hmm. Skyline, Skyline 2 is on there. I have no memory at all of watching this film. I couldn't tell you who's in it. I couldn't tell you what it was about. I couldn't tell you why I was interested in seeing a fucking sequel to Skyline, but apparently I watched it. Now I know someone else has your account. That's why I texted everyone who has my account password and asked, did you watch Beyond Skyline? And they're all like, is this code? I don't know what you're talking <laughs> about. <laughs> what so are it's you a sequel me? that's so bland, I literally don't remember seeing Late, it or I selecting. remember
3: it i remember yeah. it i've seen it like it's actually no it's actually better it has some of the dudes from the raid fighting aliens at the end like it, it Ooh. like it gets wild like uh, i remember
0: none of that okay uh, so <laughs> I mean. it, it fucking the silenced my brain it was so bland apparently so mm-hmm. um yeah why did we need a
1: second skyline why do we need to didn't, didn't need skyline right yeah <laughs> didn't need skyline um Uh, I'm going to get shit on for this take, and I don't really care. I'm going to get shit on for a a lot earlier takes, much worse. So this one feels like I can get away with it safely under the cover of Food Month. Um, The first Transformers was genuinely enjoyable. No, Then they Uh, made a bunch of other Transformers movies that were terrible. And then they made Bumblebee, which I actually liked. And Bumblebee, to me, showed me that you were capable of making another interesting Transformers film and instead, what you did for roughly a decade is make non-interesting, bland, unmemorable Transformers films. Hey, and they some were bland. Like, some of them were racist. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, I suppose <laughs> there there was like there's something there. Uh-huh. Um, but I liked <laughs> the first Transformers. Offensive. It was fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, Russ, last bland sequel
3: uh jaws the revenge like you fly any any sequel to jaws is was that yeah oh god That's the one I, where
0: they're all like on a boat flotilla right and like yeah. they're trying to rescue the kids on i mean nodding
3: yeah, you can just say any of the Jaws sequels, but I mean, yeah, like, it's just... Oh, no, the one where yeah. he
0: kills SeaWorld is fucking sweet. <laughs> Jaws
3: 3D is
1: badass.
3: I have not yeah, seen I that actually, one. Actually.
1: I have, like, an odd affinity for... Like, I kind of like some of the Jaws sequels. Like, I... And maybe it's because that bit had... Uh, and this is, like, uh, to turn... Had more legs. Like, mm-hmm. like, hey, what about Killer Shark? Uh, and you could just see him doing a bunch of different Killer Shark things. It was like, eh, okay. I, I would watch more than one of these. Now, I couldn't tell you which one was which. But yeah. I could tell you I watched more Killer Shark.
3: I don't know. It's yeah, Jaws is such a good movie to me. I just can't any sequel yeah. is just inevitably well, yeah, Jaws, flawed and bad. I, I will admit yeah.
0: the second one is really flawed and bad, but like when he when he attacks SeaWorld and starts <laughs> jumping between exhibits and eating people, that is that's not bland. It's not All right. good.
3: It's right. not bland. I kind of want to see that. Uh not gonna lie. I'm not oh, seeing Oh yeah, we Jaws should
1: definitely suit. watch Jaws 3D one night. It's yeah. awful. <laughs> All right. All right, we're going to grab some beer, and on that note, we'll be right back with Humanity's Fight, your number one vote getter.
0: <laughs> Guest Baz is not drinking today. He actually just came here to try and bear witness and convince us to leave behind our sinful ways. So, Producer Ross, take over for him.
3: What are you drinking? I'd be glad to in this case, so... <laughs> This is the Boulevard Cherry Lime Radler, berry with cherry, lime, and natural flavors. Um,
1: he, I, I've been wanting to try this, and yeah, they've gotten, done a follow up to the yet. Ginger Lemon that I did not care for, and so the idea of another Rattler from Boulevard is interesting but scary to me.
3: Uh, this is a hard five for me. I've had, I this is like my third or fourth six pack of them that I bought uh, since they've came out a yeah, couple you know, weeks time. ago, um, and. Yeah, it's not close. It's like um, drinking a Sonic Cherry uh, Limeade, but it's also got alcohol in it. So uh, it's, you know, which I don't is know how I
0: typically th- drink Sonic Cherry Limeade.
3: <laughs> 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 well, you could just cut out a step, you know, uh, yeah. and yeah, it's really good. It's uh perfect summer beer for me. I mean, I really like the Lemon Ginger Radlers, but this is even better in my opinion. So uh, like Baz, do you want to convince producer Ross lotion. to
0: leave behind the
2: devil's brew and find the Lord? Um, no, i I support your drinking. <laughs>
0: good, good. That's wow. the
2: motto of this podcast. Yeah, yeah,
0: I support your drinking.
2: Support so another word for enable. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> anyway, uh, we have a we have a Baz centered question here in humanities fight. Your number one vote getter, uh, Friedrich suggests in nerd splainer really sociology explainer. I put it in humanities fight so we could all chime in. Uh, but Baz has a sociology degree. Um, Friedrich asks, explain goths to me and why some humans love misery. I just don't get it. Starving artist, self-destructive rock star, nihilism in general comes to mind. So um, Baz, give us sociology 101 on goths. Goths. Um,
2: well, it's a subculture or a counterculture, I should say, that people belong to. I don't know what... It doesn't really have really a sociological or like there, there is no organization to the goth there's no goth movement there was no real like see punk has a has a movement punk had a movement as a counterculture but goth is more of an aesthetic more than anything else in my opinion mm-hmm. um it's not it's it's a, it can be a style of dress it, it can be a style of music it can be a mindset but it doesn't it doesn't really fit. There's so many different variations to the term goth and who what's considered goth. That's really, I think a very difficult thing to classify in any real I don't know, academic manner. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So it's, it's kind of a nebulous term really.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I have a take on it, but it's the, it's the, it's the Marxist take. I,
1: I, mm. I mean, well, that's new. Try something different, Caleb. Yeah, give yeah, it yeah up. I'm going to get out there.
0: I'm going to be bold. Um, right. I view goths uh, as uh, the idea of, if you want to get into the humanities degree, that's doing me so much good right now, uh, Marxian uh, fetishism. Uh, so I, I regard it as a fetish. So uh, this, this involves, you know, the weird neo-Marxian obsession with, like, Lacan and Freud and trying to mix, you know, materialist philosophy with, like, crazy cocaine, early psychology. Uh, But they did hit on this one thing, which I think is actually true, which is that um, capitalism enforces people uh, to find ways to engage with the world that are almost entirely consumerist. Um, And as a result, ideas that don't fit into the consumer mindset achieve a fetish uh, because they get a physical object that represents them, uh, not unlike the metaphor of the voodoo doll which is used in Marxist criticism to talk about that. So you have, you have a fetish item that is supposed to represent something that is intangible because intangibility means in marketability, which means capitalism just has no room for it. So I think, um, goth for me to explain it in terms of Frederick, if I had to, would be, um, this, this fetishization of misery as an aesthetic, like, like, uh, Baz said, so like, I think it's actually a threefold remove. I think they accept intelligence and an ability to see the world. I think they automatically associate that with depression or or what my professors would have called the poet's disease. Um, you know, they they equivalent, they equivalent intelligence with depression, which is itself kind of a false equivalence, and then they equivalent depression with a look. And I think um the goth movement in general, in my engagement with it, has been Um, You know, you look like you're depressed so that you can convey intelligence because you can go to Hot Topic and buy hair dye or you can buy pants with too many chains on them or um, Marxism will accept that as a fetish for a representative for an ultimate intangibility. So that would be, you know, I'm just trying Marxism on for the first time. That would right. be the Marxist
1: explanation of it.
0: Um, right.
1: Well, I'll point you to some readings. Uh, <laughs> maybe help, <laughs> help you wrap your head around it. Yeah. It, it's a pretty complex topic.
0: Would that scan a... with your sociology reading of it, Baz, as not yeah. like its own culture in, insofar as anything else?
2: Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. I think I kind of misspoke when I said there's no movement associated with goth. You know, that's not entirely true because in that sense that you've you that Marxist sense of it. They goth the goth aesthetic or the goth you know look that kind of thing they go for it um it almost exists as a reflection of the consumerist vanity because there's a lot of vanity to the to to goth being to dressing and looking that way you have to put in a lot of work for that kind yeah. of appearance and they take pride in that appearance but it does almost exist as a as a mirror to the consumerist vanity of our society. And it shows like this is the dark side of what you created. look we can be we've created a non standard beauty we but at the same time we you know we exist in that same that's in the same environment I'd say
0: I mean I would regard it as essentially um reactionary, not in like yeah. the bad white supremacy way, but as in like it doesn't really have meaning without wasps and yuppies, you know what I mean yeah. like with if with. Warm without something to compare goth to, it's just like a where you, it's a way you wore clothes um, and did
3: makeup. So I uh, I would agree with that. Yeah. I mean, I think you can probably date the goth. Uh, I mean, it is a style. It is a style sort of anesthetic. So like there is a movement, but it is, yeah, a fashion movement, not like a, uh, a an explicitly political movement, like punk, like that said, but like, I mean, the predecessor, I mean, it, it, it's sort of like, goth has evolved over generations and i think you the 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 sort of beginning of it begins with the victorians um and their weird obsessions with death and uh the you know the afterlife like you have spiritualism in the 19th century uh edgar Allan poe and you know the 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 whole field of southern gothic literature and everything and so uh people who are obsessed with that or like really responded to that um they responded to something then they added their own contributions to it. And it sort of evolved over generations to what we know now, but you could probably find the sort of predecessors to goth, like a hundred years ago. Like, um, you know, there are people wandering cemeteries in the 1920s and, you know, drinking and writing bad poetry about it. So, uh, yeah.
2: Music music also plays a very large part in, with the evolution of what goth the modern mm-hmm. you know your modern take of what goth is mm-hmm. because as a fashion sense and a fashion style, it evolves just like any other, but it seems uh, it seems to follow the evolutionary path of the music that seems to be associated with it most, mm-hmm. um which you know in the seventies you have your post punk move or you have your punk and proto punk movements. Mm-hmm. moving from the 70s to the 80s the post-punk movement and the arrival of dark wave and new wave and all those genres of music and then um then you have all these offshoots that branch off into a million other things so yeah I,
0: it's a, my, my impression was that emo culture kind of diluted both
2: and killed both Like well, emo emo has nothing to like so there's a big difference there's a there's a misconception that emo is an offshoot of goth somehow no
0: i don't have that misconception i i do think they have the same cultural signifiers though i I do think they i do think they confuse the message of straightened black hair and i wear only black and like I, i don't think they had a lot ideologically and similar but like
2: yeah, style, style, like appearance, like you know, like uh, aesthetically. Yes, yeah, I w- I will argue against that because having been in the battlefields of of the the scene movements of the early two thousands, <laughs> having been in the front lines, um, there's always there's always a difference between goth, uh, the aesthetic, and the, the the emo aesthetic seemed to follow the more of the punk, still stayed within the the reins of kind of the punk aesthetic. Um, you know, but the straight straightened hair and stuff, I I really can't account for where that came from. Cause the
3: okay.
2: I never that's not a very not a terribly common gothic hairstyle, honestly. Mm. Uh but again it depends. I mean it depends on the goth. It's, it's so varied, like you could say what's a goth The one person will definitely be something different to another. So
0: I, I would say in its best end, like and I'm I'm dabbling in sociology here bad. So tell me if I'm wrong. I, I would say in its most positive, like goth represents the idea of the family of choice or, or the found family. Um, you know, you, this sort of secondary family units that you gravitate to when your own family, your, your hereditary family does not meet your needs either through abuse or neglect or ideological difference. And I, and I would say in the best case, uh, you know, a goth scene represents that sort of found family you find in all sorts of countercultures and subcultures and fandoms. Um, you know, people, associating, you know, not unlike RPPR and stuff based off mutual interests and uh, perspective, um, rather than, you know, we were born longitude and latitude near each other, um, social organizations. So um, I, I think in the best end that's got, but I also don't think that's like unique to gothic. Like I think, I also don't think that's um, transferable between different goth groups, you know what I mean? Well, no, I mean, I think if you did a sociological analysis, they'd be radically different, like gangs or fandoms, or um, you know anything else you might call a found family.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think every I don't know music is such an integral part to what what to being what human is. Like it just it fits humanity and music. Like that's kind of a core part of humanity, I believe. And so being such an integral, like an ingrained part of us will always form a society of some sort based around that common marker.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Like, um, like punk music and hardcore music. They're like, they run like families, you know, in some place like East coast, hardcore, it's almost like banners. Like they hold their flags, like, and like they form their own tribes somewhat, you know? So I think that's kind of the same with golf music as well. Like, you know, you find like you said the found family idea.
1: Mm-hmm. I would tell you that uh, in my limited interaction with, with, gothic subculture uh you know growing up in a Wait, you're not experienced class. you don't have a you don't have a ton I, I haven't been for like 10 years I, <laughs> I i i really once i decided to start being an adult professional i decided to shed a lot of that and leave it you in that box you, in the basement you were
2: you were a big clan of zymox fan weren't you i couldn't tell you uh yeah i don't,
0: I I don't talk about that part to of my life stand out back in the alleyways and just kind of sway back and forth listening right to, you know yeah, the, you know, yeah. The I,
1: I did, division I had a lot, a lot of fishnets. Okay, so Joy
2: Division's not really goth. It's more of a post-punk, you know, nihilistic style of punk, I would say. But, you know... Definitely influenced the genre. Go ahead, Spencer.
1: <laughs> so uh, in my, uh, like, it was a term, like, exclusively used in my middle class, predominantly white suburb, it, particularly in my schools. It was a term used to police difference. I will tell you that. That, oh, that yeah. was almost the only way in which I interacted with that term for a long period of my life. And uh, the the relationship between that term and how we were talked to as students about Columbine uh, was a very Holy clear shit, indication. I completely forgot about that, yeah. Yeah, was a very Talk clear about reactionary. indication. <laughs> yeah, from <laughs> teachers, administrators, principals, et cetera, uh, that, that goth was a term used to indicate difference and dangerousness. And so, um, you know, it, it it immediately took the things you guys are talking about, aesthetic style, um, you know, cho- choices of interest, music, et cetera, F- and, and bucketed like, them. Yeah. yeah, and bucketed French them. coats mean under, school shooter. bucket to them under something much more nefarious it it was like to to me i guess the only equivalent it it, it was like our version of the satanic panic Uh, is is how the term goth kind of lands in front of me in in elementary school or middle school i guess uh, is when columbine happened 97 maybe Um, so yeah that's my limited interaction with it and then to you know encounter years later as you kind of start to explore these things as subcultures or whatever uh, as as an adult or in academic settings And to kind of have to break that frame that got pushed and pushed and pushed and ingrained. And I think by some extension also systemically weeded out and cast out as it was intended to do in its usage. A lot of those people from our large circles uh, in in good old Blue Springs, Missouri. Um, Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, total rethinking of that term later in life for those reasons.
2: Yeah. All right.
1: Those are our thoughts on goth. Thanks for the question, Frederick. And on that note, we're into Ask Mixed Six. Going to grab a beer and we'll be right back. Spencer, what are you drinking? Uh, So this was from the brownie batch because we're still burning through those 7 million beers. And this is Cronenberg 1664 Blanc. It's a malt beverage with natural flavors. So, you know, we'll see. Um, It's a tall boy. I appreciate that though.
3: Yeah, there we go. I
2: love that beer.
3: Oh, you've had it? Or you just like to can't? Okay. No,
2: I've had it. It's delicious.
1: Oh, that's fucking good. Yeah. Wow. That is fucking good. What is that's, Is that a white? Well, I mean, in, yeah, in theory that, that blanc. So it does have like definitely some kind of like florally, uh, like almost citrusy notes on the back, hmm. but it drinks super light. Like it drinks like a radler almost, which, you know, is functionally a malt beverage and, um, It's actually a malt beverage. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 And then, <laughs> uh, and, um, but then it's just got a real nice, like a little coriander over the top to give you some of that some of that um, uh, floralness and then a real light sweetness on the back end. Yeah, that's, that's a very drinkable beer. I, I would give that a four. Um, I think that is a white Gatorade. If
2: you had Kronenberg 1664, the, the original, which is a regular yeah. one, that one's really good too.
1: Yeah, I'd not have the Blanc. That's why I was like, yeah, maybe. But uh, I'm pretty impressed with this. I got to be honest. Uh, Caleb, what are we talking about in Ask Mixed 6?
0: Well, uh, Cassidy asks, and uh, it's 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 quite the paragraph, so I'm going to do a little bit of paraphrasing. Um, is it okay to recommend a video game that's really great, except for being the sexist elephant in the room? I'm making my way through the Witcher series, which this is Caleb editorializing, might be the pinnacle of this argument, uh, the, the absolute epitome of this uh, issue. I'm playing through the Witcher series, and I finished one and two, and I'm just about to start three. One was okay, two was really good, and now I'm excited to play three. Um, I'm a woman, and I've been gaming for decades at this point, so there's a lot that I'm used to dealing with that I've gotten good at tuning out. But it's hard for me to excuse it entirely, even though I'm trying. Uh, These are extremely popular. It can't be that bad. Right? Is this just me? What do I do when a game is really good, but is just so tiring to play and deal with as a woman sometimes? first off Cassidy, I want to thank you for asking this question to us. Like, uh, I am just so flattered that you would in any way want to hear what three white guys have to say about this, <laughs> uh, on, on the regular podcast. Um, but, and Baz of course. So, uh, that's cool. Uh, thank you. I'm very flattered. Um, but, but what do we, what do we want to say about this? Cause this this is an issue we've struggled with on this show. Like how much do you forgive representation and, and other issues in media you like? Um, but I mean, we've never dealt with it from the perspective of someone suffering directly from those representation issues and political issues. So uh, what do we, what do we want to say about this?
2: Um, I would say in regards to the witcher, I don't think it's malevolent misogyny. I don't think it's intent like I, obviously it's just a part of it, but I don't think it's uh I don't think it's an attack so much as like something like a game like Kingdom Come Deliverance. The politics of the guy who created that are very much ingrained into that game structure and narrative. Mm. The Witcher, I think, just kind of Clueless. Uh, it's clu- it's kind of like just a clueless uh, also it is it is a different it comes it comes from a different culture than our standard culture so there you know, different levels of misogyny there um i don't know but i don't think the witcher is intended is to be misogynistic like some other games that exist
0: um my my understanding of this issue is that like it, as as awful as the feminist representation in the witcher thing is um i think telling a woman that she shouldn't enjoy something or that she should feel guilty for enjoying something that she enjoys is m- maybe a more malevolent form of sexism yeah, than just like a video game that really likes boobies. Um, Cause it really likes boobies. Uh, so, and, and furthermore, it, the reason I picked this to talk about is that it sort of follows in with my interest in 2020 in that like culture just doesn't matter that much. I'm not gonna say it doesn't matter entirely and that everything regarding culture is a vain effort. Um but I'm also gonna say that like as much as I enjoy recording the show and I found significant love uh for our fandom and my fellow co-hosts, mm-hmm. I-, I don't think we've moved the needle on anything like talking about is Star Wars bad or good? Like it's it's um I talked about this on a hot takes we previously posted, but I, I think it's um I think it's a matter of being gaslit into believing that um, stasis or entropy is actually progressive change, um, which is the nature of the world for me, previous to a lot of stuff that's happened since 2016 and in 2020, um, you know, confusing, confusing absolute stasis or decay as incremental improvement when in fact incremental improvement at this point looks like radical revolutionary change. And I think in a world like of, you know, BLM protests and pandemics and collapsing societies and fascists are raising, to, you know, um, telling yourself that you're a bad person because you're playing a game you enjoy because it's problematic. Not, I mean, I feel like that's just uh, wasting your time and efforts that could be spent on, you know, progressive change that um, I know you support because you wouldn't you wouldn't be writing this question if you weren't a good person concerned about these things. Uh, and I I think it's a bit of a time waster and, um, kind of sad self-denial to like deny yourself some enjoyment in this world. Like, so if it's, if it's going to be problematic enough that you don't enjoy it, um, yeah, don't, don't play that shit. Um, but if it's, if it's going to be something you enjoy and you just kind of feel vaguely guilty for, I mean, don't. Don't worry about that. Like, buy it used from GameStop or or, or borrow it from a friend, so you don't give CD Projekt Red money. And like, get what you can out of it. Like, especially since you said you enjoyed one and two, right? I mean, it just seems it it seems like there are bigger fish to fry in the term of social progress, and that uh, it's a noble thing to be concerned about something this small. But one should also recognize that it's pretty small.
1: That's my yeah, and that's I think. that's the struggle that I have with this kind of question. And it's an interesting question and something we do talk about in various forms. Um, I don't, I cannot literally answer the question when, when do, what do I do when a game is really good, but it's just so tiring to play and deal with as a woman. I don't know. Couldn't I cannot tell you that. Um, And I, I, and I, I really can't possibly conceive of encountering 75% of the video games I've encountered in my lifetime as a woman and and not just having some of the stereotypes and, and some of the coding just seem natural and programmed and and having to encounter the, the latent or, or not so latent effects. of those, I, I don't know. And and um, and I so to me, all, all I can say is like, look, if the thing bothers you, don't play it. Uh, I mean, I just think that's generally a good rule.
3: I think I think there is the problem is you don't know uh, if you're not going to enjoy it until you actually play it, and then you can find out you don't enjoy it, and you're like, oh well, that was however many hours, like because you ran into something. So one thing you might want to do um, there's there's probably multiple of these websites, but I know there's at least one called doesthedogdie.com, dot com, um, which will list questions of like. Does the dog die? And then like and it's for movies, but also for video games, but also have other things too, like are animals abused or like is there uh, um yeah uh various... actually
0: goes on to talk about that in her paragraph okay. she she's done some research on the game. Mm-hmm. Um she's also said she she quite liked Witcher 2. Um mm-hmm. if you're just going by video game design other than its politics, the Witcher 3 is like probably my favorite game. It's, it's almost flawless. It's it's one of the best video games ever made the DLC is what I would pay $60 in another video game for like Call of Duty. You pay $60 for, um, you know, a, a DLC and you get like one extra map and some fucking weapon skins and you pay for the DLC and the Witcher at a cheaper price. And they give you, you want to play the game again, but in France, you want to play the game again, but with vampires, like it, it's just so fucking great. Um, So, yeah, in terms of quality, it's one of the best games ever made, I think, for a console or otherwise. Um, But, yeah, they love boobs. Just really into them. Uh, Geralt is not woke. Uh, I mean, but, uh, yeah, I I wouldn't deny yourself a pleasure if you're going to take pleasure in it. And Mm -hmm. I wouldn't force yourself to suffer something just because it's supposedly a good video game. Because in the grand scheme of things, it's not gonna move the needle. You're not a bad person either way. I mean, yeah. especially if you're not giving him money, you know. Just.
2: there is a um, yeah. a small consolation prize, I believe, in The Witcher Three, with uh, that makes Gar- 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 uh fails miserably because of his rampant misogyny when he attempts a certain path.
0: Yeah, you can you can have real bad end if if you uh, stick hard to Geralt's misogyny. Um. Yeah,
2: it does, it, and it's there's quite a hilarious part about midway through the game where it gets them, and it it made me laugh because it, I think it makes a fool of all the men that pursue the romantic elements of the story, and it does a really mm-hmm. good job of making a fool of people who fall for that shit and think that you know, oh yeah, my whole purpose is to romance all the women I can in this game.
0: Um, yeah, and it's still, like, it, I still think it's a failed attempt at wokeness, but, like, they read criticism from one and two and tried. It's, Not that yeah, that counts for much either, but it just doesn't count for much. <laughs> yeah. In general, yeah. So, but if you like, Thanks so one, much for the
1: question. Hope you enjoy... We love you, Cassidy,
0: regardless. Right. Whatever you decision you, you make,
1: we hope you're at peace with it, is how we would say this. Um, and on that note, we've got a mix six mock draft, which is your number two vote getter. We're going to grab more beer. We'll be right back. Caleb, what are you drinking
0: from revolver brewing, um, which might exclusively do IPAs. I, I've never had anything but an IPA from them. Um, I'm drinking the hop device IPA, hazy IPA. Um, if you've noticed a the theme of my drinking, it's all IPAs because. A lot of IPAs in there? Uh, I think I think the bitter green wave that once consumed craft receded, but now the tide is coming back in. Yeah,
1: um, yeah.
0: As the economy tanks further and the craft brewing reaches capacity, I think it, they're gonna the return to convention has already begun, and the bitterness wars shall resume again. Um, but that's just my theory.
1: Was uh, this part of the brownie batch?
0: Uh I can't.
1: Okay. Maybe Spencer, how many times? Yeah. The beer, the beer hole, hole. All right. Yeah. It anonymizes mm-hmm. all. We are yeah. all equal in the beer hole, all right? Right. It's true. That's true. It really does strip away, you know, whatever whatever we care about in name. It's just beer man. Caleb, how's that hazy IPA?
0: His face Two. his
1: face no likey. Two.
0: Yeah, I mean I've had worse IPAs. It's pretty watery up front, but, um, and I don't know what hops they use, but whatever they picked, it's almost entirely in the back of the throat. The bitterness is picked up on the roof of the uvula and it's just, it's more aftertaste than taste. Um, I, I will give it that. Like I I feel this in my nose and almost nowhere on my tongue. Uh, so it's not, it's not great.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, we're into mix Six Mock Draft, and Chris Reed has suggested, given Baz's legendary level of backstabbing trickery, the only way to seek revenge is to either draft a team of trickster gods or choose their weapons, i.e. drinks of chaos with which to poison him. We'll do one better. We're each going to pick a trickster deity, a weapon or tool in the parable, and a lesson taught to Baz uh, from our own unique form of of tricksteration. So we're drafting trickster god, deity, a weapon, which we're kind of conceiving of as a drink, for example. And, and the then purpose what, of this parable, yeah. Right, yeah, and then what Baz learns from it. Um, Caleb, you want to go first?
0: Yes, definitely. Uh, so I'm going to pick, uh, apropos of nothing, um, Ekwinsu, the Ebo god of bargains and tortoises. So what Ekwinsu is going to do is Uh, the deity is going to get on to like miniature market or some sort of game forum and try and sell Baz 40 K miniatures. All right. (laughs) Uh, Maybe even a tortoise, some sort of war tortoise. I'm sure there's some sort of war turtle in 40 K. Am I right? Oh, yes. Kind of. Yep. There we go. Knew it. Going to sell you some 40 K miniatures at like a significant discount. You're going to get like the sweet rare war tortoise and then you're going to open it and it's going to have malort in it. And you're going to learn to beware the closed box in all things. Mm. That is what a queen suit is going to teach you and you will forever be changed and a better man for it. So
1: praise a queen. Sue. Love it.
0: Um, that That's my take.
1: So Baz, I need you to know something before I, <laughs> I get in here with my take. I, I thought for a long time about how I could outspite the the spite in you. And, and, and really what I came down on the side of is you can't out trick the trickster. I don't, I don't believe that there's a joke that I could pull a long con that I could pull. And frankly, something that I would end up getting you to drink that would be worse than what you've done to us, or frankly, something that you wouldn't enjoy because you, you are a man of commitment. you drink anything just to win the bit. And so I've taken a different path here. I don't want to out trick you. Instead, I want to use a deity and a drink of choice to bring you into the fold. I want to help you understand and really embrace the damage you've done by way of visibility rather than attempt to outspite your spiteness. So here's what I've done. The God that I've chosen, and this is very specific, and honestly I've taken a page out of Caleb's book and done something a little extra topical. Um, the God I've chosen is the ghost of Christmas what? Extratopical? past. What? Yeah. Uh-huh. The how, ghost of how Christmas is an past.
0: Actual, no, no. How is an actual trickster deity, extra topical, in our mix six mock draft
1: about? Trickster no. Deities. You're you're normally extra topical. I'm taking a page out of your general playbook. Your play today was actually pretty topical. It was hot takes oh. levels of topical.
0: So in your in your your yeah, okay. Cool. Fine. Yeah. All right. Rusher.
1: Right. Sure. So I'm choosing the Ghost of Christmas Past as played by David Johansson in Scrooge. A very specific iteration of the ghost of Christmas.
0: Definitely Past. not extra topical at all. Worshipped by many
1: tribes around the world. What the hell? What? What? Ha, ha, uh, what, what, if not godlike powers, the ability to pull a man out of reality and to take him through and witness a past version of himself so that he may morally improve, is that not, in many instances, the goal of a deity? Man, so you like never did the reading in class, This was just, this is so, you just. <laughs> so I'm choosing uh, the Ghost of Christmas Past because uh, what I want him to do is I want him to take baths and bring with him an important weapon, Schlitz malt liquor which is something that is not enjoyable, but something that people do drink. And it has, it has the essence of I'm drinking this because I'm sad. And what I want him to do is I want him to take baths back to that moment wherein and stand just above the table, just off uh, of producer Ross's kitchen and watch the sheer joy in our faces be drained. I know people heard it. Like I know her people heard us open that malort, but you didn't Uh. see it. You did not see the life escape from, from Caleb's face. You did not see the anger, the anger and disappointment in my eyes. And my hope is that in seeing that Baz would go, okay, it worked, but was it worth doing? No, because I love these people and I've hurt them. And so the lesson taught to Baz is really love is the greatest weapon of all and my God. hope is that a, a, a cursory period through time will will bring him into the fold not out shame him out of the fold so you're welcome you're welcome best so your you. okay cool well yeah. understood it, de- yeah. it depends on how you approach it
0: hashtag team spencer if you would like to be wrong anyway uh, <laughs> ross
3: do you have one yeah um So, the trickster god uh, I would pick would be Velez, uh, the Slavic god of trickery and the underworld. Oh, I Uh, almost went with Velez. Yes. Uh, I'm glad I picked a different one. Me too. (laughs) And um, the drink would be Four Uh, the which is, of course, no longer made. But um, I think it would be appropriate because Baz is such a fan of... uh, uh, Steve 1989 and other uh, old ration eaters, he is drawn to a, uh, a old ration symposium. And uh, there, Velez is there uh, to take him to an after-hours party and plying him with Four loco uh, convinces him to start eating old rations. And thus uh, uh, Baz goes on a bender uh, uh, learning uh, to never eat food made in the last century. Uh, which I feel is a practical rule. Uh but uh you know, it's it's gonna be a good story from what the, the, the shenanigans he gets through his botulism and fevered mind will uh, be quite uh entertaining for the rest of us, uh, assuming he survives. But yeah, don't I'm don't eat food made obviously. in the Vietnam, like in the Vietnam War. Right?
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh as with every trickster myth, um the ultimate trick is played on the trickster god by themselves. So Bez, how do you how do you trick yourself? How do you hoist yourself by your own petard?
2: Well, first, I'm going to go on saying that Caleb and Spencer's gods will never take me down. I'm too powerful. <laughs> uh, and their weapons and methods of destruction will, will be ineffective. I feel no love for anyone. <laughs> I am only here for the lulls. Um, Ross's could get me with a four loco, though. <laughs> I would fucking smash a poor loco right now if I had one, like an OG one. I fucking love them,
0: but not like a really good deal on 40k managers.
2: Nah, I'm out, of the, I'm out of the hobby basically.
1: Oh, what about like a really cold Schlitz malt liquor?
2: That's actually not a bad beer in my mind. I don't mind it. See,
1: there you go. So you take it. So we okay now? Flip yeah, the door.
2: But then, the then door. but I would be enjoying it while watching you guys suffer.
1: <laughs> I actually, I actually drink Schlitz semi regularly i i don't just like schlitz i think it's just can't get behind to... it the 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 uh, i don't mind drinking schlitz it's the back end of schlitz that just has a weird meatiness to it that i would rather drink schlitz
0: than it. fucking Mickey's or something like yeah.
1: that. oh 100% yeah. yeah schlitz has a really bad heavy like adjunct
2: into it that just
0: oh you're up. not going to have a good day the next day yeah like um
2: but okay so there's only one god that i only another god of an opposing i you don't know powers power type could take me down no tricksters could out trick me but the person i have chosen or the god i should say is the one and only brandy harris the matron saint of wanton destruction yeah
0: Yeah. um
2: her weapon of choice would be fireball or any cinnamon flavored whiskey because i at numerous occasions have been the victim of brandy harris
1: and her yep. fireball. She just yeah. sort of
0: exude fireball shots
1: like yeah. yeah right. From it, it, every, it, it, everywhere. It's, right? at some point you're you're drinking fireball and peer pressure. Yeah. It's 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 a curious mix of these two things.
2: And uh the lesson I would have learned was never trust seemingly benign acts for there's no such thing as a benign deity. <laughs>
0: Yeah, Brandy's bounty is fireball and her wrath is also fireball. Yeah, like
1: yeah, they are yeah. one and the same. Like yeah, it's... if if you end up in a in a in like an enclosed in an enclosed space with my wife and fireball, you're already <laughs> fucked. It's like the game's <laughs> over. So now you just lean into it. That's and we it. all we do all agree that Brandy is a god. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. And you're not winning that one and so you just
0: She's not even to listen to this. He's not even like worried about her she, she didn't listen to this shit she has no got god things no. to do yeah no he's just acknowledging t- it for the. i told her i pain. was
1: recording earlier and she said recording what so, like, <laughs> I uh, great all right on that note cool. uh i'm gonna go lie to my wife about what i just said in case she heard me and uh we'll be right back for drunk enough
3: Juicer Ross, what are you drinking? Uh, This is a John Boston Summer Ale. This was actually one of the beers I brought back from Australia. Um, I just, we're just now getting around to drinking it. Um, This was actually a uh, a six pack of different uh, beers that was given to me by uh, Maddie's father. So uh, here here we try it out. Uh, Get in there. Mm-hmm. He- Maddie's dad didn't didn't give
1: you a picture of beers that someone else posted on Instagram.
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, he he gave me actual beers as as I evidence. Huh. It. Yeah. How yeah. interesting. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's fine. It's uh, I would give this a three. I forgot what is that? The It's a yellow Gatorade. Yeah, which wrong. is wrong. It's wrong. Yeah, yeah. it's definitely yeah. wrong. Um. Yeah, just kind of a not very bitter. Just kind of a beer flavored beer, like it's it's perfectly drinkable, but not like exceptional. You know, it it's yeah.
0: And this I, is like a C plus episode. Like yeah. we had some pretty good ones, but mostly eh. beer
1: flavored no. beer.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know what else to say. It it, it right. doesn't no, very little aftertaste. So that's no, good. It makes
1: complete sense. Yeah, it's not it it's not bitter.
3: Um, a little bit of bitterness, but not, like not much. We've been
1: doing this for three and a half years and have tried over 700 beers, probably nearing 750, and sometimes the best way we can describe a beer is by saying it tastes like beer.
0: So, Yeah, I think you could probably do a supercut of us just saying it tastes like right. beer, and it would be yeah. five to ten minutes long. I think John, John mainly is, because we are not good at our jobs. I just no want to reiterate terrible. that here as right. we exit this episode, of which we've done, maybe we've done 700 already. I haven't done a count in a while um john an insane amount of beers we're just we're not great at this no nope. baz will not included baz is fine um but he's not here all the time to to keep us in line
3: yeah um, i think it's a pretty big brewery in australia so i think this is not like i don't want to say this is like the i don't want to make the claim just... that this is the blue moon of <laughs> australia but like mm-hmm. you know it's eh. You know, it's God yeah. in I Australia to go to do a and
0: show you the Blue Room tasting room. <laughs> it is, man, it's like, what if you drank a level from control? It is wild. Uh so much concrete. Anyway, uh Spencer, you proposed this. So what are we talking about in Drunk
3: Enough?
1: I did well. Um, so, for those of you not following Missouri politics, and why would you? Uh, our, our governor has uh, announced that on June sixteenth. So, just a few short days away, the state's just reopened, no restrictions anymore. And obviously, it needs to be because all these businesses are suffering, and business is king. So, what else can we do? And uh, so, no, like you know, look, we all we we live in this area. We we have no local business owners you know, no people who are trying to go places. And there are certainly more vocal community members who want to get back to Applebee's. Um, and so I, I got to thinking yesterday, it's weird when I see posts on like Facebook for local businesses reopening or even like non-local, but, but local businesses, large chain entities reopening in our area. And I've noticed that I do have like these kinds of odd levels of understanding and understanding might not be the right word, maybe like odd levels of less anger, Uh, from some businesses who are like hey we're reopening and other businesses who say that and then I just want to punch something through uh, my computer and so my question is kind of of all the business types that are making arguments or have been making arguments that they need to reopen now and when I say business type I mean like local business small restaurant as compared to like chain restaurant or even regional entity all the way up to national chain McDonald's Starbucks big box stores Home Depot Lowe's etc. For the different business types that are making strong arguments for the need to reopen or why they need to reopen, which one do you think has the absolute worst argument? Like, who in your opinion, your perspective, is just in the worst position to say, like, no, 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 we have to reopen for these reasons? Because, like, well, I'm interested, Uh, but before I monologue here, I'm curious uh, curious if anybody else has a take.
0: Bass, what's going on in Oklahoma? Like, what have you guys got? going on or not going on currently uh well i just read that we had the single highest spike
2: in new cases today so that's good but other than that um (laughs) reopens working yeah (laughs) i mean Uh, i think it's going according to plan (laughs) exactly right um yeah we're in a limited reopening i think a lot of uh but a lot of local businesses here while we are a red state there is a pretty heavy leftist movement amongst the uh local business here a lot of progressive companies so a lot of them are following stringent you know like day one rules still and they've modified their business plans accordingly so like they should so you're seeing a lot of that here but then you're also seeing a lot of people like well the tattoo parlor has a line stretching out the door that goes back you know 100 yards with you know people staying in line and arguably that's a pretty dangerous place to have open so are gyms gyms are starting to reopen
1: i think soon
0: yeah, I've never wanted a tattoo more, or to go to the gym more than I do right now. And yeah. our gym, the our absolute gyms have worst been ideas. For
1: yeah, a couple of weeks now. Gym, gyms were a part of the. Were initially not a part of the phase one, but for those of you who have listened to every episode, you might remember that we had a phase one reopening, and then four days later, we're like, Nah, fuck it. Pretty much anybody can open.
0: Uh, it's phase so, X now.
1: Make it. That's right.
0: Do your own phase.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of a create your own COVID adventure.
0: Yeah. So Baz, what's the dumbest argument you've heard so far from reopening though?
2: Um well obviously the salons like, oh, I need to get my hair cut's pretty <laughs> fucking stupid argument. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um I don't know what Panera Bread's argument it is, but fuck them. I don't want them to open.
3: <laughs> 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 fucking hate Panera. Um, um I haven't read the argument yet, but I, I just in general I think party supply stores definitely don't need to reopen. <laughs> yeah, no shit. <laughs> Oh, shit. <laughs> Risk your death for streamers. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I don't want to encourage the whole purpose of them. Like, there shouldn't be parties. Oh, right. like,
0: okay, mine mine comes from – it comes primarily from a single sector, but I, I, I see certain people making the argument in every sector. But mine is going to be – I'm going to pick on the service industry because industry, I see it most from, like, service industry and restaurants. And it's not – it's not like workers. It's not like chefs, not backline people. It's not frontline people. It's not servers. I see this from it's managers and franchise owners making the argument that we have to reopen because my people want to come back to work and I have a responsibility to them. And every time I just tweet back, they don't want to work like they want money. So they're not insecure. They right. want to see people they've gained solidarity with through the mutual suffering of being under your heel. They want a sense of purpose, whatever that purpose may be in our diluted capitalist system. No one wants to put three pickles on the bun. They they don't want to be there with you. That's why you were supposed to pay them money. And that's why you pay them far less money than they deserve. So like my least favorite argument is like managerial professional mm-hmm. class being like, well, I, I know there's dangers with COVID, but my people, my workers, just really want to get back. And I owe, I owe, I owe them their sort of peace of mind. No, you don't. You owe them money. Like mm-hmm, you, mm-hmm. <laughs> you owe them money right. from the labor that you exploited. Right.
1: They, they you, owe the, you owe them the thing that they signed a contract for. Yeah, and they, you signed they don't a contract desire to
0: go back to like yeah. cleaning the deep fryer because no one does. That's why you paid them to do it and didn't do it yourself. Like, yeah. it's just so it's just so disconnected and blind from like
3: disingenuous. Hey, I
0: hire good employees who have strong Protestant work ethic and are good, reasonable people. It must mean they worship me unto a God and I must answer their prayers. No, they want money. That's why they they got a job. Like they, they don't care about the physical task. They're not fucking monks. You know, they need an exchange. And the idea that like it's so divorced in their mind from that's the argument I hate the absolute most. Just yeah, they're nobody's chomping at the bit to go back to haggling over their hours you give them that week. Like, (laughs) yeah.
3: Um, I think the worst argument though is we already have COVID deniers. Like, they're like, there's anti-vax, there's, like, that Venn diagram is probably circled between the anti-vaxxers and them, but, like, um, there's there's already a strong move that COVID's not real, uh, literally doesn't exist, or that if it does exist, it's no bad, no worse than a cold, therefore, right. let's reopen, like, toxic masculinity, like, why are you, like, we're already seeing some people attacking others for wearing masks in public, like, mm-hmm. um, yeah. so we... I, and I don't know if it's toxic masculinity or just like, like white supremacists who have a good sense of history is like, Hey, diseases have helped white people in the past a lot. So like, you know, let's keep that going. Like, I don't know. It's, uh, but that's probably the worst argument. The most reprehensible is that COVID's not real. Um, and if you're I that kind so. of person, fuck you.
1: Right. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Uh, the, the one that I think I've had the hardest time stomaching from organizations so far Uh, Or the Springfield is home to, as maybe many of your cities are, I don't know, Springfield is home to some massive churches, like massive. Um, Yeah, when you
0: say massive, I don't think many people in the world will understand what you mean by it. Like, have arcologies, have their own bespoke entire towns attached to them, sized churches. Like, yeah.
1: Yeah. one of them used they to have a Starbucks and it and now it has its, its now it has its own coffee shop serving it inside its I mean yeah they're they're little cities. Not no, what if the cities. Vatican
0: was Protestant? Like yeah. it is that level of size. And
1: church. worse taste in art and everything <laughs> yes. else. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, some of some of our churches uh, have maintained and we also I will also say you know, this is not about my shit with organized religion. Uh, maybe, maybe I can't divorce these things, I don't know. Um, <laughs> we also have some churches who are, for what it's worth, very community-focused organizations, and I think have been, for the most part, positive forces for good in Springfield. That—that um, That is all I will say about that. Having, having written off and done my due diligence here to say that there are some good organized institutions in this area. Some of our churches have maintained a this kind of like drive-through, drive up, park in a parking lot, will use... Radio, we'll use bullhorn, we'll use speakers, and we can do a church service in a physically distant kind of environment. Okay. Um, look, I don't think that's awful. I, I don't doubt and nor nor do I disagree with the power that certain people feel to, to be around others and congregate and worship and all that stuff. That's your thing. I get that. Um, and so some of our churches have been pretty good with, well, let's just live stream it. We'll post a video. Or you can come to the parking lot, sit in your car, don't get out, and we'll, we'll do this safely. Some of our larger churches – uh, of, a, of a particular branch of Christianity do not believe. Uh, I, I don't know that they are explicitly COVID deniers, but they are certainly functionally COVID deniers in their actions and the actions that they're encouraging of others. And the the, the argument I keep hearing is that there's just something special and unique, you know, about the ability to worship in groups, you know, that, to be in the presence of. And that is not only is it antithetical to the purpose in and of itself, stated purpose, I think, uh, it's just it's just it's what it is it has
0: materialist necessities, like
1: yeah, physical yeah distance. It, that's right, yeah, it's it's fucking risking people's lives uh, <laughs> yeah. for for your the, in the presence of the spirit shit, um, and I'm absolutely like mind blown by it, like it bothers me that like big box stores have been pushing pretty hard for no restrictions, no physical distancing, no, no mask requirements, et cetera, and uh, under the guise of, well, we've got to pay our people and we need to keep the, the lights on. Mm-hmm. Your billion, if not trillion-dollar organizations, you can keep the lights on and pay your people. You're choosing not to fuck you. Um, that bums me out totally, 100%. Say, with Caleb, 100% on this one. Yeah, But this if church if, thing.
0: Yeah. If you're running it, a church and you're just not – our ministry is now a 50-hour job of food distribution. Right. That's right. Like that. If, if it's not that, if it's not like making faith in action, I don't think it's an authentic church. Cause I do see people down here constantly be like, my parishioners need to go back to work and they need to be able to worship every Sunday because if we don't keep passing the tithe plate, that's I right. will not be able to afford my personal pastor only mission trip to Buenos Aires for three months. And it's yeah. just like, <laughs> yeah. like no, No, like you've been doing that for fucking decades now. I know there's a vault somewhere. You Mm -hmm. could just be like, my parishioners don't have to worry about ever going back to work again because I do what churches were supposed to do and provide a vital social service in the specific lack of that social service being provided by the government. Like it should be like, that's what, Uh, that's the value of religion in my mind. And like, the argument for that, like, oh, yeah, well, we can't, we have to get them in because otherwise they won't pay us. Right. And then how will we, and then it's just blank. Like, it's just right. ellipses after that because they're not will spending we? that money on the community and it's just laid bare. The grift is just open now and they're just like, get them back in the fucking pews.
1: Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yep. We, we even had a, a slightly more nefarious version of what Caleb's describing. We had a couple churches in town who were like, hey, come, we'll give you a meal. Got to come to a church service.
0: Yeah. Wait, what?
1: Yeah. The,
0: the, literal, uh, the literal missionary colonial bribe just like, that's right. Yeah. Put you in this terrible situation. Be a shame if it got worse without some Jesus, you know, like that kind of threat extortion kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. Uh, that's, that's the one, the hardest one that, that, the, the one that I'm having the most difficulty stomaching, I think among all of them, um, because I think it, it so barely exposes the predatory nature of a lot of that messaging and a lot of, a a lot of that discourse and attitude. And it just really bums, bums me the fuck out, frankly. So Mm -hmm. uh, not to end this on a downer, uh, listen, there are a lot of great people and great organizations in our community and hopefully in your communities who are doing really good work to take care of people, to practice physical distancing, to find alternative ways to provide their goods and services to humans without, you know, risking lives. And that's great news. This week, I was particularly annoyed by those who are not. And so that's what we talked about. Um, hey, uh, we cannot thank you enough for sticking around with us through this episode 68. Uh, and the last, unfortunately, I think we could all agree, the last episode of Food Month 2020. But don't worry. It'll be back in 2021. And I'm going to get my co-hosts drunk enough one night to get them to tacitly agree to doing two Food Months in 2021. I'm going to get them on camera and or via Unless Randy's there agreeing to these things she'll absolutely be there um you've already lost the game she's in your house now watch out um, <laughs> no! but for now this is the end of food month thanks so much to baz for coming back and joining us hope you're doing well in oklahoma we miss you we love you tell holly high and well, on that baz note is doing we're gonna...
0: paintings now
1: oh, oh yeah uh,
0: he's available for commissions i do art and, uh, how how should, can people find you? on Where the internet, should they hit Andrew you Basil? up to get a get a painting, a bespoke Baz original?
2: You can follow me on Instagram at just like Andrew, and uh, Facebook. Just find Andrew Basil. Find one of these guys, and I'm, I'm definitely a friend of theirs. So you can <laughs> find me. Find find me through That process. Just uh, DM me on Facebook. Um, knock on my front door. You know,
0: whatever. Shit With is a mask, good. Uh, I have to please. actually drive to Oklahoma to get my commission, which we're gonna have to exchange like some sort of like covert dead drop, like for social distancing. <laughs> like, put it behind the
1: dumpster at LJS. Uh, I'll fire a flare it. off.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, at midnight.
1: Yeah, yeah. send a pigeon. <laughs> Um, thanks so much for listening to this. Don't forget to check us out on all the social media platforms. Just look for the Mix 6 podcast. Chances are we are there, and there's some cool stuff people have done for us on YouTube. That's Y-O-U-T-U-B-E.com, not any of the other tubes, probably. And if you forget any of that, just go to wwwthemixed and you can find everything from us, by us, about us, for us, et cetera. Uh, don't forget that at the end of this month, we're going to push pause on the Mix 6 Mutual Aid Fund. This will drop at the end of June. At that point, we're going to donate the remainder of those monies to National Bailout. Uh, and after that, we'll see if we can't make more funds available to help uh, any of our listeners, community members in the future. Definitely want to still be here and support you as much as possible. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Mix 6 Podcast. I'm Spencer. I'm Caleb. We'll talk to you next time.